I am Sara Marinelli, and this is Letters to Italy. In this series, I speak with Italian expats in the Bay Area at the time of coronavirus. How has the pandemic reshaped our lives here and our relationship to Italy? If there has ever been a time to look back on our choices and ask the question, where is home? It is now. In this seventh episode, I'm speaking with Elisabetta Ghisini, entrepreneur and president of Comites San Francisco, an elected body of officials representing Italians living abroad. Elisabetta grew up in Milano and has been living in the Bay Area since 1994. In over 25 years of life here, she has become an expert in global branding and cross-cultural communications, has worked with several startups, conducted research on women's entrepreneurship, and has taught management, communications and leadership for several years. To begin our conversation, I asked her to talk about how Comites reacted to the COVID emergency. Broadly speaking, Comites is a body of elected officials that uh, work in collaboration with the consulate to identify the priorities of the Italian community in the consular jurisdiction and to propose initiatives and propose programs and ideas that would meet those priorities. When COVID hit, we found ourselves asking the big question, how can we help? What should we do? And uh, we sort of changed our day-to-day work. And with Comites, uh, operationally, it was easy because we simply transitioned online. But psychologically, it was very difficult because we needed to completely change uh, our focus. Our focus before was on doing interesting projects for the Italian community here, from a photo book uh, that sort of chronicles the members of the recent immigration to a documentary that tells the story of um, recent immigrants to also programs that uh, support and promote uh, the Italian language and culture. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves in a situation in which interesting projects uh, weren't really the most important thing. We we were really trying to figure out how to help the community uh, at a moment in which uh, the entire um, sort of reality was uh, changing. So as committees, we identified a number of needs that, they ta- that we thought the Italian community had uh, at that time here in the Bay Area. First and foremost was the need for clear information. If you remember, about a year ago, there was a lot of confusion about uh, travel restrictions. For the first time in decades, uh, countries had shut their borders to and from Italy. So... One of the uh, needs we focused on was providing clear information by um, launching new uh, social media channels, by sending a periodic newsletter, by really trying to focus on uh, filling this information gap. Another need we identified was the need to support uh, 
the segments of the population that were mostly hurt or impacted by COVID. And definitely one of them were people who were being furloughed or lost their jobs, particularly in the restaurant sector. So unfortunately, as committees, we cannot provide direct assistance. We cannot, uh, we're not allowed by law. But what we did is we partnered with Italian community services uh, to identify people in need, essentially. Another initiative that uh, we launched uh, that I'm very proud of uh, is uh, Rete Rosa, which is a professional network for female Italian professionals living in the Bay Area. One of the needs that emerged from uh, COVID is the need for some kind of uh, uh, connection, a human connection that goes beyond our work on Zoom every day. And so we launched this uh, this network uh, with the purpose of supporting one another. It's an idea I had had for a long time and um, I thought was never going to come to fruition in a world in which personal interactions were no longer allowed. But actually, it's an idea that took on a completely new dimension thanks to the shift to online. Because at that point, it was much easier to organize events, to get in touch with people and provide an opportunity for gathering for professionals who were otherwise fairly isolated. At that point, we didn't know for sure, but we experimented with it. And in fact, it was a welcome initiative. Other initiatives uh, were the same, like, uh, you know, supporting students uh, of Italian language in their AP exams. Students we now know had a particularly tough time with the shift online. So in some ways, uh, we did new things. In some ways, we did the old things at Comites. I'll tell you, the hardest part was uh, finding the mental focus because we were all under shock. So it was hard to find the time, the energy, and the focus to help the community when we were ourselves struggling. But we tried. The versatility of Comites projects mirrors the versatility of the community itself. Through Elisabetta's descriptions of these broad initiatives, I can't help thinking how vital these resources are for a diasporic community like the Italian one especially in this time of crisis that caught us all unprepared and compelled us to consider our perspectives and priorities, as Elisabetta mentions. She also tells me how the COVID upheaval here and the shock of the news in her native Milano pushed her to shift some priorities and gather energies to open up a new personal and professional path. I particularly was in a total state of shock and uh, personal trauma trauma because uh, my family is from Milan. I was born and raised in Milan. I have lots of friends in uh, Brescia and Bergamo and, uh, you know, my entire family of origin is in Milan and I couldn't sleep at night. I was constantly in touch with my family and friends to try to figure out uh, what was going on. And... Uh, At that point, I was uh, going through a particularly tough personal time. My mother had just passed away in uh, February, and I was in Italy for her funerals when COVID hit, and I really got a sense of uh, how bad the situation was. 
and while I was in disbelief about the lockdown in Milan, which had never happened even during World War II, so it was something that we are, ha, have now gotten used to, but initially it was of historic proportion. At the same time, I was trying to convince uh, uh, my family here and my friends here that um, this um, unknown uh, disaster was on its way here and we need to change our way of life. I think the only thing that kept me going was uh, to think about what you can do to help. Trying to be help useful and the feeling of trying to find reasons for continuing to sort of march through <laughs> march through the days so to speak. There was the added complication that I was going through a profession professional transition because uh, due to this uh, family loss, I had uh, taken a leave of absence from my teaching uh, job. I was teaching at uh, uh, a local college and I decided that I couldn't continue. And um, so I was um, in the midst of a transition and my husband and I decided to start a company that we had been thinking about for a while. So the new sort of professional uh, adventure gave me a lot of uh, mental stimulation, I should say really a push to to keep going, a push to delve into new topics and to learn. I can't remember how many professional development courses I took between April and August. Uh, one, because they were important for my new job. Two, because um, I just felt the need to continuously uh, upgrade my skills as a way to counterbalance, if you will, the desolation caused by COVID. And I decided to invest in in myself, in my brain, to sort of keep it alive so that I could I wouldn't spend all the time thinking about uh, the COVID daily bulletin. Um, and I could focus on something more productive, which ended up being uh, probably a useful strategy because uh, all the things that I learned were then useful for my job, but also for committed. I feel a deep affinity with Elisabetta's lifelong commitment to learn, to stay engaged in new activities, to keep herself and her mind on during a time of disruption. In our conversation, she shares how this was for her a sort of survival strategy, her way to overcome the work isolation by building alliances and connections across the imposed distance. I'm curious to know more about her new company. The new company that my husband and, and I founded last April, it's a new venture firm focused on uh, artificial intelligence. We had been thinking about this idea of uh, a company that was focused on uh, creating artificial intelligence startups. And it really got an acceleration by COVID. It's one of those uh, instances of serendipity in life that you can never predict Because of COVID, a number of uh, human resources became available. Unfortunately, a number of people lost their jobs, but also uh, students and graduate students, a number of them were left without uh, their summer internship that they had already planned and they had already organized. It just so happened that we became aware of the fact that a number of uh, Harvard Business School uh, uh, students were available because their internship had been canceled. And so we decided to hire a few of them. And uh, 
I developed an AI academy for these um, interns who were all eager to learn about AI. And at the end of the summer, we hired a couple of them and the others went back to school. And we hired three people in, in Europe. You know, the transition to online allowed all of this. This would not have been possible in a normal summer, so to speak. So that's one positive uh, uh, outcome of, um, of COVID for me personally, for myself, my family, but also in general, in terms of opportunities. There is part of me who feels really sort of conflicted about uh, presenting this as a success because I know that people were affected uh, much more and in a much more permanent way who were really scarred by the COVID uh, workplace upheaval. For me personally, for some lucky break, it wasn't uh, a negative. It was a, it ended up being a positive. But I can't really be super happy about it because I keep thinking about the fact that for every win, there is a loss. What I hear in Elisabetta's words is the acknowledgement of the unpredictable roots and possibilities that the COVID-19 pandemic has ensured in our lives and how they can be turned into new directions. We continue the conversation on this particular perspective that COVID has offered us to frame our present and future. I think, you know, there is a general tendency for people to think that uh, COVID was a bit of a separation, a demarcation between before and after. Uh, and I think that's very true. It's true from a global perspective, it's true on a macro scale, and it's true on a micro scale. On a micro scale is that the idea of rediscovering uh, small pleasures in life, a more reasonable rhythm, uh, and being more in charge of your own time, rethinking uh, certain commitments, uh, certain rhythm uh, to my daily existence uh, that resulted in a better balance. I will also honestly say that uh, it is uh, a demarcation line that worries me because uh, I don't think life will go back to the way it was and I don't think the world will go back to the way it was. Uh, pundits are uh, divided on this topic. There are those who think that once COVID is under control, the world is, will roar back and the economy will roar back. There are those who are a lot more skeptical of this positive uh, view. And uh, I am in the second camp because I think that our lives will be profoundly changed by this experience. And the one thing, one of the things for me that will change is the ability to travel. I do know that with the vaccines and better pharmaceuticals and COVID under control, we will be able to travel again and we probably will travel again. However, the concept of a global connected world where you could uh, pick up your bags and go live and work and study in any country. I think that will take a long time to come back to the level where it was. If nothing else, because uh, COVID has forced a rethinking of uh, border controls, visas, uh, permits, etc. And that for me is a huge loss. I belong to a generation in which 
going abroad and conquering the world was a big victory and a big um, satisfaction and a big uh, cho- and a choice. And the only impediments were uh, cultural and psychological and educational, but we were not stopped. I was not stopped in my tracks. And I hope that the, the world of the future will be able to, again, pick up their backs and just go live and work wherever they want. But they fear it will not. And that's what really makes me sad about uh, this demarcation line. Pushing ahead this demarcation line, I invite Elisabetta to imagine looking back at this last year and consider some of the discoveries or realization that she made because of this newly found perspective. I think the COVID, the, if we can call it, call it tragedy, COVID transition, it's not, it wasn't just a pandemic, it was the upheaval of a way of life, really gave me the opportunity to learn a lot, a lot more about um, topics and environments that I would have never come close to otherwise, like neuroscience or neurology or mental health or supply chain. So there was definitely a positive outcome to it. And now that we're sort of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, we can hang on to these new relationships that we built, to these new digital relationships that I certainly built, that turned out to be real human relationships. That's another thing that COVID made me discover, not just the different rhythms and the pace of life, but also you know, the concept of distance. In one way, COVID really cemented the concept of geographic distance because we couldn't travel. I haven't been anywhere uh, outside of California in a year. But in one way, it also made distance disappear because you can now cultivate personal relationships online that you couldn't have done before. So it told me that we can be resourceful, overcome physical distance, which I think for us expatriates is very important, was, was, a, was a discovery, frankly. I also believe that the time we're living in has become a conjunctural time of our present history, which allows newness to emerge and opportunities to rethink time and space and how we want to inhabit them. Moving to another aspect of this conversation about how we see ourselves in the present moment and in relation to our communities, I ask Elisabetta about her sense of identity in regard to Italy. My Italian identity has always been, on one hand, uh, straightforward and on one hand, complicated. Complicated because um, before coming to the Bay Area, before moving here, I had never felt Italian 100%. I had spent a lot of time uh, traveling around Europe and studying in Germany. So I always felt very international. I never felt particularly Italian. However, during COVID, my Italian identity became definitely stronger, even more complex. I found myself trying to defend Italy in a lot of uh, conversations and a lot of social situations. My pride was wounded when uh, my acquaintances and friends were in disbelief that Italy had uh, declared lockdown, that Italy had such a high rate of uh, contagion. 
that the death rate was so high that there was um, there were military trucks uh, in Bergamo to carry the coffins. I think that for us Italians abroad, uh, there is always going to be a conflicted relationship with uh, with Italy. On one hand, we feel our roots very strongly, and on the other hand, when you are away from Italy, especially when you are gone for a long time, you can't help noticing. Uh, some aspects of Italy don't work. And certainly at that time in March, April, May of last year, people couldn't understand why Italy was sparing so much worse than other countries. So I found myself constantly having to defend the public um, interventions in Italy. It was at some level untenable because um, I had my own questions of uh, how was it possible that uh, for example, a region as advanced as Lombardy could have a healthcare system that failed so spectacularly. And yet, I didn't want to give in. I didn't want to accept the criticism, even though I myself knew there was plenty to be skeptical about. At the same time, it definitely strengthened, if you will, my sense of belonging and my sense of uh, national identity. I never felt the intention to go back because uh, I didn't think I could be of help. But for the first time in my life, I actually questioned my professional choices. I would have liked to be a doctor. I would have liked to be a social worker. I would have liked to be any other type of uh, socially useful profession. Even though if you think about it, uh, creating jobs and creating um, professional positions is socially useful because people need jobs. But still, that's the moment when I really thought uh, I needed to perhaps, you know, become more socially useful, start a profession that was more focused on other people's well-being and not, uh, you know, topics of uh, interest. It is quite true and quite common to feel touched in our sense of identity and belonging when it is put under scrutiny or called into question. We can be first critics of our identity and of our home. But to use an Italian expression, guai a chi ci tocca l'Italia. Vu betide whoever talks bad about Italy. So, to end our conversation, I invite Elisabetta to imagine writing a letter to Italy. If I were to write a letter to Italy, I would uh, tell her two things. I would tell Italy to be proud and I would tell Italy to focus on being a bamboo shoot because bamboo shoots are those uh, plants that uh, bend with the wind but never break. And Italy really reminded me of a field of bamboo trees. Italy was really hit by headwinds and tailwinds and all sorts of winds here. Very strong and very powerful and very unpleasant. And definitely it bent. It was on its knees at some point, but it never broke. It always kind of resurrected. It always found a way, found a way out. Yes, we were knocked down, but we were strong enough to rise back up. I would tell her to be proud of this reaction and to continue on this road. You can find out more about Comites initiatives and projects at their website 
www.sfcomites.org and about Elisabetta's company at www.continuumlab.ai. This episode was the last of the seven-part audio doc Letters to Italy, featuring some Italian expats in the Bay Area at the time of COVID-19. If you missed an episode, you can listen to past ones and enjoy the full narrative on any podcast app by searching for Letters to Italy by Sara Marinelli. Although, this is not quite a goodbye yet. Next week, look for a short bonus episode with my last letter to Italy. Letters to Italy is produced, edited and hosted by me, Sara Marinelli. This series was made possible thanks to the support of Comites of San Francisco and Italian Consulate of San Francisco, with funding from the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation. I am grateful for their support. Thanks for listening.